0: And uh, this morning, after I've already taught on the positive ministry of the Holy Spirit, a lot of the things that He does in our life, I have a list of 20 things that I was going to go through, and I think I covered three <laughs> or four. So that means we got at least 16 or 17 to go, and I'm not even going to get close. And so I just want to share with you just a couple of things tonight. And. Um, this is by no means an all-inclusive ministry about the Holy Spirit. I tell you, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift God ever gave us outside of the actual atonement of Jesus and what He did for us. But Jesus didn't just do these things for us and then leave us on our own, but He sent a comforter, a guide that would show us and lead us and is there with us through every single thing that happens in our life. Man, that's powerful. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us all of the time. And yet, I meet Christians, and I don't, I'm not saying this to condemn or to criticize, I'm saying it to enlighten us and to open our eyes. But I meet Christians that are uh, lonely and bored. And people like that just do not understand that God is always with us. You know what? I, I at one time thought I could be a hermit. And then I got drafted and sent to Vietnam and spent a year without any Christian fellowship whatsoever. And I found out that wasn't true. I found out, you know, we need people and we need each other. But I'm the kind that, uh, you know, I like people and I like being around people, but I love being by my Lord, not by myself. I'm never by myself. I enjoy just being with the Lord. I enjoy spending time with the Lord. And there's a lot of people that don't have that type of a relationship to where the Lord's not a real person to them. He's a concept or He's in heaven and we got to pray Him down. They don't recognize that He's with us and they don't feel the presence of God. I tell you, you're missing one of the great things about Christianity. There's many things about Christianity that are totally different than any other religion, but one of them is that we aren't serving a belief system or just a doctrine. It's a person. And this person isn't somewhere else. He's in us. He's with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, sakes us. And that all happens through the Holy Spirit. And I tell you this, a lot of Christians aren't having a personal relationship with God because this is the job of the Holy Spirit. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 5. And I'm just breaking into the middle of a, a teaching here by Paul. But for time's sake, I'm going to do it. And he said in Romans chapter five, in verse five, it says, and hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The Holy Spirit leads you into the love of God. Matter of fact, this word shed abroad means to gush forth vehemently is what the Greek is talking about. Jesus said a similar thing in John chapter 7. He said, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then the next verse explains it. This spake he of the Spirit that they that believed upon him would receive. Did you know when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's like a well of living water on the inside of you. And it just gushes forth with the love of God. There are some of you looking at me like, well, I received the Holy Spirit and that isn't my experience. Well, it's because somehow or another you haven't turned on the tap. This is what's available though. This is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is meant to be. You know, ministering the baptism of the Holy Spirit is as simple as what we do here. We've had 175 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The vast majority of those have spoken in tongues right here. And it's as simple as what I present. It doesn't take days and months and years. The Pentecostals used to teach that you have to tarry based on Acts chapter 1 where the Lord says, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power. And some of them would wait 20 and 30 years to receive the Holy Spirit. That's a misapplication of scripture because if you're going to actually take that scripture and apply it literally, then you have to go to Jerusalem to tarry the Holy Spirit wasn't given at that time, and so it was appropriate to say, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you receive power. But now that the Holy Spirit is given, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that this is unto you and unto your children and unto them that are far off. That's verse 39, I think. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so we don't have to tarry. It is as simple as just praying and receiving. But one of the drawbacks to ministering the Holy Spirit the way we do is that people come and they've never even heard of the Holy Spirit before. They hear me minister, they come down and they receive and there wasn't any longing for it. There wasn't any anticipation. They didn't expect that much. And so because of it some people may actually receive the Holy Spirit and receive some of the gifts, but then they don't place much of a demand on it. When Jamie and I received the Holy Spirit, we were the first time I ever heard about the Holy Spirit, I thought I was the first person in 2,000 years that had ever had this revelation about speaking in tongues. I ran across Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall speak with new tongues. And I I thought I was the only person that had ever seen this. I didn't know that anybody else had ever received it. They certainly hadn't in my Baptist church. (laughs) Amen. And uh, I thought it was just totally new. And so anyway, there was no encouragement. I was told it's demon tongues. This is of the devil and, and uh, just terrible stuff. And anyway, by the time I finally received and started speaking in tongues, I had spent years pursuing it. And trying to figure out what is the combination to receive the Holy Spirit. And so when I got... And it was the same with Jamie. I remember when Jamie received it. I was there when she received the Holy Spirit. And when she received the Holy Spirit, it changed us. Because we were expecting it to change us. We had high expectations. And I think I can speak for Jamie and me both. That boy, when we received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we were overwhelmed with love. Love. God's love for us. You can't give away what you don't have. So the first thing that happened was we just, we were overwhelmed with the fact that God loved us. But then we had a supernatural love flow through us to other people. I mean, we loved other people. Even the people that didn't like us or that criticized us and told us we were of the devil because we had now received the Holy Spirit. We loved them. That is one of the distinguishing characteristics of the Holy Spirit is that it causes the love of God to flow in your life. And I'm just amazed at people who claim to have received the Holy Spirit and they may have, but somehow or another, they're just as mean as a snake. They just say terrible things. Amen. You know, we've... We've grown in the ministry, and I can't talk to every single person now. I'd like to. I come an hour before, I stay, I minister to people. I would love to sit down and visit with every one of you, but it's physically impossible. And so, because of that, we have some people here that help us. Or otherwise, I have people come up, break in line, and grab me while I'm trying to minister to somebody. And you got. So, anyway, we've got some people. And you know what? There are spirit filled, tongue talking people that are some of the rudest. Meanest people around. They have done things. They've nearly knocked Jim Ertle over. They've cussed him out. They've done things. Quote, unquote, spirit-filled people. Something's wrong with this picture. I'm telling you that the Holy Ghost sheds abroad the love of God in our heart. And if you aren't feeling the love and also ministering the love, you got to disconnect someplace with the Holy Spirit. You may speak in tongues, but if you don't do it motivated by God's kind of love, you're just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It profits you nothing. The Holy Spirit, if you will receive it and allow it, the Holy Spirit will fill you with love. You'll love people. You'll quit being a gossip and vicious and talking about people, and doing things. Man, there's nothing wrong with any of us that the love of the Holy Spirit wouldn't fix. Man, if we were walking in love, if we were considering other people ahead of ourselves, it would transform not only your life, but it would transform our society. Man, it's just selfish. Selfish. The Holy Spirit is the antidote for selfishness. He will fill you with the supernatural God's kind of love. And it's not something you have have to even ask for. This is His ministry. This is what it says that the Holy Spirit sheds forth the love of God in our hearts. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I have people come all of the time and they say, I just don't feel the love of God. Would you please pray for me? And they, they think that's a wonderful request. And it's all I can do to just keep from... The spirit of slap coming over me and saying, what's wrong with you? Straighten up. That's not love, is it? (laughs) But people think, well, what's wrong with that? You're saying that God is the one that has quit loving you and it's God's fault that you don't feel love. And so you're going to go and start petitioning God and say, God, you start loving me. God's never the one that quits loving you. The Holy Spirit is constantly sharing the love of God. If you don't feel the love of God, if you don't have joy and peace and all of these things, it's not because God turned it off. It's because you shut it off. You're the one that turns it on and off. And so what I'm saying is that if you don't feel the love of God, you don't have to plead with God to love you. He's already commended his love towards you. Just allow the Holy Spirit to start shedding the love of God in your heart. Start asking him and say, turn to Romans chapter five, verse five and say, this is your job is to show me the love of God. Here I am, reveal it to me, shed forth the love of God. Let it be like rivers of living water that flow through me, John chapter seven. Man, most people, instead of it being rivers of living water, it's more like you could uh, get the picture of one of these old pumps that you have to crank. And you know what? You have to pump and pump and pump because the thing's dry and you got to get your prime up and you work and work and work. And about the time you finally get a squirt, you're tired and you rest and you lose your prime. And then you got to go through the whole thing again. Instead of there being this artesian well that is just bubbling out of you and you have love and joy, it's just a little drop, a little squirt every once in a while with much effort in between. That's describing a lot of people's Christians life. That is a life void of this ministry of the Holy Spirit to shed the love of God in your heart. And that's powerful. If you really understood this, if you got nothing out of this conference, but this one thing that the Holy Spirit's ministry, his job, his commission that God gave him is to show you the love of God. Man, that would transform your life. How could you ever be lonely? Man, when you get by yourself, oh, Holy Spirit, what a great time. Now, just show me the love of God and start feeling the love of God and having God tell you things and show you things. You'd get to where it'd be hard for you to be around people. You'd a lot rather spend time with God, with the Holy Spirit. Another verse that I have down here, I'm not going to get to it, but it talks about... Uh, Paul was talking about the love and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Man, most of us don't know what it's like to sit down and visit and fellowship with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit encourage you and show you the love of God. He's a person. He's not a thing. He's a person. He's God Almighty and He lives on the inside of you. And He will fellowship with you. He will say things to you. I had one woman tonight ask why God did this. And she says, what do you think the purpose is? And she was asking, am I supposed to share this with somebody? I said, I don't know. I said, maybe he just did it because he loves you. Amen. You know, there's a lot of us that we are so works oriented. There's got to be some, somebody who gets saved, something that happens through this. Sometimes God just does things because he loves you. God just blesses you. He just loves you. He wants to fellowship with you. There doesn't always have to be some purpose. He may just be wanting to tell you that He loves you. He's shedding forth the love of God in your heart. Most of us will not let God love us like that. We don't believe that we have that kind of worth and value in His sight. You know, I remember that when Jamie and I was first getting started, we would go to these meetings and we would just be so overwhelmed. We would be just like slain in the presence of God. Other people would get up and leave when the service was over and we'd just sit there and soak it up. Like, how can people walk out? Can't they feel the presence of God? And people would just come and go like God wasn't there. And we would just be overwhelmed. We would we'd go home and sit there for hours just praising God. And I remember those feelings of being in the presence of God in meetings like that. And I held a meeting, I think it was in Omaha, Nebraska, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago or something like this. And it was one of the first times in one of my meetings that the power of God was so present. People were being blessed and healed and miracles were happening. And I saw people responding the same way. They just wouldn't leave. They'd just sit there. They were stunned in the presence of God. And I remember as I was driving to the hotel, I was just thanking the Lord and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, that what what you've done in my life You're now doing through me and you're touching other people. And I was just thanking him and telling him how much I appreciated that. What an honor it was. And you know what? The Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, well, thank you, Andrew. And the first time I thought that, I thought that's not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost wouldn't thank me. God would never thank me. That's stinking thinking. You know what? The Holy Spirit loves you and He'll tell you things about how He loves you and how He appreciates you doing certain things. And most of us won't let the Holy Spirit love us like that. You don't even have that concept. And it hinders this revelation of love that the Holy Spirit comes to bring. But the Holy Spirit wants to love you. He wants to fellowship with you. God... If He loved you enough to die for you, don't you think He could at least say thank you to you? I know what I'm saying really makes some of you uncomfortable because you aren't that intimate. You don't get close to God like that. But the Holy Spirit will teach you this. i tell you what, God's passionate about you. God loves you. And some of you really struggle with that because you don't love yourself. But God loves you. He sees you different than you see yourself. He sees you in the spirit. He doesn't just see you based on your actions and all the weird things that you do. He sees what he did on the inside of you. It's like when God created light. He said, let there be light. And it says he saw the light that it was good and separated the darkness from the light. There was darkness there, but he didn't look at the darkness. He saw what he made. He saw the light and he saw that the light was good. Man, we just gravitate towards the negative. And because we got some darkness in areas of our life that aren't the way that we know that they should be, we get critical of ourselves. But God doesn't look at the darkness in your life. He looks at the light. He looks at the good things. He looks at what He's been doing in your life. And the Holy Spirit will show you how much God loves you. He will show you the goodness of God. Man, that's powerful. I promise you this, if you really had the love of God shed abroad in your heart like an artesian, well, not just a squirt every once in a while, but just bubbling up out of you, there's not a person in here that your life wouldn't transform and you, wouldn't, you would also transform in the way you touch other people's lives around you. The Bible says Galatians 5, 6, faith works by love. If you knew how much God loved you, your faith would go through the roof you wouldn't be struggling to believe and receive things from God. But faith would just... You would be overwhelmed with faith. If you've got a deficiency in faith, you've got a deficiency in love. If you're struggling to believe, it's because you struggle to understand how much God loves you. That's a simple statement, but it's absolutely true. There's a number of times, you know, you you just... You don't have a role model for that unconditional kind of love. People in the natural realm, things that you see with your physical eyes, they do not give you unconditional love. Everything's conditional and when you do bad, they'll turn on you. And they'll reject you and you'll receive criticism instead of blessing. And so if you aren't open to the Holy Spirit, you'll you'll get away from this. And there's times in my life you don't ever just walk perfectly and figure out the truth and you never make a mistake. It's more like this. You head in that direction and then you veer off and get sidetracked by the world. You just don't ever do anything perfectly. And I can tell you that there's times since the Lord has shown me how much He loved me that I would start letting the criticism of other people or the worry of different things or I got problems in front of me and it'd start bothering me and I would be struggling and I'd still be going saying the same things because I knew enough to say what the word said and still believing for the same results. And I, but I just lost my power because I had gotten uh, criticized and I was sitting here thinking about what other people said or stuff like this. And I couldn't tell you the number of times that God has just reminded me of how much he loves me. And man, when I get my eyes back on how much God loves me and I get to thinking about that, it's just like all of these problems just fall off. And I'm doing the same thing, but there's a difference when you really believe with your heart that God loves you, that God's pleased with you, that He's not upset with you. Some of you are just looking at me like, man, I'm not sure. I feel like we don't have a frame of reference. Some of you have never really felt God's love like what I'm talking about. You know, not long after the Lord poured His power out on me, March the 23rd, 1968, and for four and a half months, I was just caught up in the love of God. I never slept more than an hour at a time. I never ate a meal. I just grabbed something. But for four and a half months, I was caught up in the love of God. I was gone someplace. And not long after that, I, I would drive 45 miles to go to church on the other side of Dallas from where I was is was over an hour drive. And so on Sundays, instead of coming home in between the morning and the night service, I'd stay over there with people and visit with them and then go to the night service. And so uh, there was this one couple that I'd stayed at their house quite a bit and their daughter did not Like the Lord. She hated God and hated anything to do with Christianity. And she especially hated me out of all the Christians that she knew. She just hated me. And I don't know, she's 20 something years old or something. She's about my age at that time. And uh, so anyway, I was over at these people's house and I was really tired. And they said, just go up into our daughter's room and take a nap because she left. Every time I came over, she left. So her room was vacant and they said, take a nap. So I went up there and I was taking a nap. And anyway, I was asleep and I heard the door open. And it was one of those things where uh, I was in a sound sleep and yet I boom, just woke up like that. I was wide awake when I heard that door open. And I heard somebody come in. You could hear the floor creaking and the door closing. I was thinking, oh, I bet it's this girl. She doesn't want to see me. I don't want to see her whatever she needs to get, get it and leave. And so I just laid there like I was asleep. And she walked around the room and I heard a drawer open and I heard different things happen. And then they walked over and stood right beside the bed. And I was getting concerned by them like, is she going to kill me or what's happening? But by that time I I was... uh, Feeling like a hypocrite if I woke up, you know, and she knew that I had been awake this whole time. So I just kept acting like I was asleep. I was laying there with my eyes closed. And then they sat down on the bed and I could feel the weight shift as they leaned across me and I opened my eyes. And you know, what? I, I, before I opened my eyes, they kissed me right on the mouth. And man, I opened my eyes and you know what? There was nobody in that room. And I jumped straight up and I looked around and I went out into the hall and, looked, and nobody was there. And I thought, God, what is this? And my first thought was, it's the Lord. And then I thought, man, if, he, if it was the Lord, he'd have come in and rebuked me and told me what a sorry thing I was. See, that's the way I've been taught. And the Lord just spoke to me and he said, if I loved you enough to die for you, don't you think I could, I'd love you enough to kiss you? And you know what? That's the Holy Spirit ministering to me. And I know some of you say, I don't believe God does that kind of stuff. Well, pity you. That's the reason that you don't have faith working any better is because you don't understand how much God loves you. The Holy Spirit will teach you how much God loves you. And once you experience the pure, unconditional love of God for you, you know what? It just makes everything else nothing in comparison. I had a horse I used to ride every day of my life for years. Rain, snow, sleet, whatever, it didn't matter. I rode that horse every day of my life. I felt the love of God. It was four and a half months later before I even remembered if that horse was still there. I hadn't even thought of that horse. I didn't know if anybody had fed the horse, if the horse was still alive. (laughs) And I still like horses, but you know what? Compared to God's love, I just lost interest in anything else. It's the love of Jesus that transformed my life and it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that shed the love of Jesus abroad in my life. And brothers and sisters, this is not just for some ministers, for some individuals. This is for every single believer. The Holy Spirit wants to convince you, persuade you of how much God loves you. And whether you know it or not, that is your antidote for depression for discouragement, for fear, for worry, for loneliness, whatever it is that you need. I guarantee you, if you've got the love of God shed abroad in your heart, you'd be over your problem. Whether your physical circumstances change or not, the storm wouldn't be on the inside of you anymore. You would be overwhelmed with God's love. You know I got drafted right after that and I got sent to Vietnam and in Vietnam I was so full of the love of God that I actually was surrounded one time by NVA troops. I was a chaplain's assistant and I flew out with the chaplain because this fire support base was about to be overrun and yet they were gonna make them hold that position and sure enough the fire support base was overrun and nearly every person on that hill was killed. There was about 60 or 70 people in this advanced fire support base. And the chaplain went out in a sense to administer last rites to these guys and hold a service right before they were all killed. And so we were there, we were in an area that was smaller than this room. And while we were there in just two or three hour period of time, we took uh, 275 mortar hits inside of that perimeter. We were under heavy fire. And I didn't even think about this because you know what was going through me? I was thinking, oh Jesus, I can see you. This could be the day I get to physically see you. I could be with you. And I had my M16 pointed down the hill and I could see the muzzle fire from the Vietnamese weapons as they were charging the hill and stuff like that. And um, I was, I knew where I was going and I thought, oh, praise God, I could be in heaven before the night's over. And I was actually excited. And as I was pointing my gun at them, and I would have fired if they had got close enough, but I didn't have to. They were, it was way off in the distance. But I was praying and saying, but God, what about these Vietnamese? And I was praying for them and interceding and asking God to touch them. And I knew that they were scared just like people on our side were scared. And I was praying and interceding for the people that were trying to kill us. And you know what? It was 20 years afterwards when somebody gave me a book and I read their experience that I realized what it would have been like without the love of God. He was sharing a testimony and the fear and the dread. And I read it 20 years later and fear overwhelmed me so that I had to start praying and rebuking and drawing on the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome it. And God just gave me a flashback and showed me that, man, because I was in this bubble of how much God loved me, Fear of death didn't bother me. Nothing bothered me. I faced death and it was just no big deal. Praise God. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus. This This is what the Apostle Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 1. He says, you know, they're seeking to kill me, but he says, it doesn't matter for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I'd rather go and depart and be with Christ, but I think it's necessary that I stay here. So I'm going to stay here for your benefit. The apostle Paul was saying the same thing. It's better to go to be with the Lord than it is to live. And yet most people are afraid of death and all of these things. We sing the song, when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And we just shout, oh, it's going to be glorious. And then the doctor tells you you're going there and you start crying. You fall apart like a $2 suitcase and something's wrong with this picture. You know what the apostle Paul, if they would have told him he was gonna die, I believe he'd have just reached up and kissed the doctor and said, oh, awesome, awesome. For me to live is Christ and to die as gain. You know, when you're walking in the love of God, it's just like you are repellent to all of the problems of this world. There's people that come up to me and they're fighting depression, they're depressed. I tell you what, I'll know some of you will dislike me for this and you'll criticize me and say, you don't understand my hormones and my chemicals. I haven't got time to debate it with you. You're free to have your opinion, but I'm not gonna agree with you or we'd both be wrong. I'm just telling you (laughs) that it's impossible, impossible for you to be depressed and have the Holy Spirit revealing how much He loves you. It just does not compute. If any of you have ever really had a revelation of the love of God, whether it's a continual thing or just momentary or whatever, you can agree with what I'm talking about. When you get a revelation of how much God loves you, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You know, the way I cope with people hating me, I've got blogs written against me. I've got people that say terrible things that have accused me of stuff. And the way I cope with it is that it's not that I'm insensitive and it's not that I like people disliking me, but it's just, who are you compared to God? Amen. God loves me. And I can truthfully say that if you're one of those that somebody said something about me and because of it, you spend two or three days whining and griping and complaining and depressed because somebody criticized you, you aren't walking in the love of God. When you are walking in the love of God, it just really doesn't matter. Who are you? Amen. It solves all of your problems. I'm really trying to go on to another point, but this is a pretty good point right here. Amen. (laughs) You just need to understand the love of God. And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All you got to do is say, Holy Spirit, it's your assignment. Man, I am more than ready. Reveal Jesus. Show me how much he loves me. And then give him something to work with. Study the scriptures that talk about the love of God. Pray in tongues and let him build you up and edify you. It says over in Isaiah chapter 28, talking about speaking in tongues, it says, this is the rest and this is the refreshing wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. Speaking in tongues builds you up. Jude chapter one, verse 20, it says, but you beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost. That's talking about speaking in tongues. When you speak in tongues, again, the Holy Spirit starts showing you love. Galatians 5, 6, faith works by love. And therefore, you get built up on your most holy faith when you are praying in tongues. And then the next verse, in Jude chapter 1, verse 21, after it says, praying in the Holy Ghost, it says, keep yourself in the love of God. Boy, that's a radical statement. Again, most people say, oh God, please keep me in your love. Just help me to walk in your love. God has already commended his love to you. He gave you the Holy Spirit to reveal his love. And it's up to you to keep yourself in the love of God is what that says. And the way you do it is by praying in tongues and letting the Holy Spirit do his work. If you don't feel the love of God, it's not God who's not loving you. It's you that's not receiving you need to receive the Holy Spirit and then welcome the Holy Spirit to show you His love and speak in tongues and build yourself up on your most holy faith. And you keep yourself in that constant state of awareness of the love of God by focusing on Him. And that's awesome. If what I'm saying is true, which it is, then you know what? We haven't got an excuse for the discouraged, defeated, fearful lives that many Christians live. There's reasons why it happened, but there is no excuse. God has given us more than enough equipment to keep ourselves in the love of God and keep ourselves built up. If you can't say amen, say oh me. Man, that's awesome. Look in Acts chapter 13 verse 2. Oh, there's just so much to say about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to get it all into one conference. Acts chapter 13, verse two, it says in verse one, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and I don't know, then, and which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Notice it says in verse 2 that the Holy Ghost said, the Holy Spirit said and gave them direction. He called and separated them unto the ministry. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us. He speaks to us. This is another such an important point. I couldn't tell you how many people have come to me and they they say something about, You said that the Lord told you this, and the Lord said this, and the Lord said that. How do you hear the Lord? I want God to speak to me. I wish God would speak to me. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. And I've got a teaching, that teaching on how to follow God's will will go into a lot more detail. How to be led of the Holy Spirit another teaching album I've got that goes into a lot more detail. I'd encourage you to get those. But I'm going to try and distill some of this real quickly and just say some things that could really help you. But the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you from the outside in. Now, He can there, God can speak in an audible voice. He could write your name on a cloud. He could have a dog walk up to you and tell you what you need to know. God can do anything and He has. He spoke through Balaam's donkey and there are supernatural things. But the number one way that the Holy Spirit speaks to you is right here it said that He spoke to them and said, separate me Barnabas and Saul. But the number one way He speaks to you is not external through your audible ears or through your visible eyes that you see something. But it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And the Greek word for one there is hes, H-E-I-S, and it means a singular one to the exclusion of another. In other words, we aren't one with the Spirit in the sense that we are now similar. And here is the Holy Spirit up here and here we are down here going in a parallel direction. No, we are one, we're identical. Your born again Spirit, I wish I had days to explain this point. But your born again Spirit is ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, if there are such things in the Spirit realm, identical to the Holy Spirit. You are one Spirit. You have been merged. He sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Galatians chapter 4, around verses 4, 5, 6. When you got born again, He took out of you a dead Spirit that was separated from God and he put his spirit within you and his spirit and your born again spirit are one. And whatever is true of the Holy Spirit is also true of your born again human spirit. Boy, there's a million applications of that. Here's one that's a little bit off topic. Remember where I am. I'll come back to this, but, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's true of the Holy Spirit, but it's also true of your born-again Spirit because you are one with Him. In your born-again Spirit, there is always love. If you don't feel love, it's because you aren't in the Spirit. You're in the flesh. You're going by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You're listening to the world. You're listening to what people have to say. But when you are in the Spirit, your Spirit is always full of love. If you don't feel love, you've solved the problem. Some of you are thinking, well, how did I solve the problem? Because you aren't in the Spirit, you're in the flesh. Get into the Spirit. Start praying in tongues, welcome the Holy Spirit. And as you get your mind spiritually minded and thinking on the spirit of God, love starts flowing. I can make the love of God flow through me. I don't have to go and ask God to love me. He's already done it and he put love in me. And if I don't feel the love of God, if I'm feeling rejection, it's because I've got my mind on what some person said or what my problems are. But there is always, always love on the inside of me. And if I would rather feel love than rejection, then it's up to me to pray in tongues, build myself up on the most holy faith and keep myself in the love of God. And I just flip the switch and turn on the love of God on the inside of me. And I start feeling the love of God and enjoying his presence. Amen. I know some of you are thinking it can't be that easy. Well, don't wake me up. This is how I'm living. Amen. This is how I run my life. And I'm telling you, this is the way it works for me. I've got love, joy. Did you know that the whole time you're depressed and saying, oh God, just pour out your joy in my life. Oh God, touch me. The problem is you're in the flesh. You're going by what you feel and what you think. You aren't walking by the spirit, man. I keep pointing to my spirit because that scripture I quoted out of John chapter seven says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This ye of the spirit. So your spirit is here in your belly. Some of you look like you got more of the spirit than others, but it's not true. Praise God. So right here, I've got love and joy and peace. You know, the whole time you've been depressed and saying, oh God, where are you? God, do you still love me? Oh God, please encourage me. It's only your flesh that is discouraged. If you're born again, your spirit is basking in the love, joy, and peace. You have never known a moment of discouragement in the spirit realm. If you're discouraged, it's because you're in the flesh. And the sad thing is most Christians consider the flesh your physical feelings, the real you. And just every once in a while, the things that are true in the spirit splash over into the physical and you feel a little goosebump go up and down your spine. And that's all that most Christians experience is just momentary little brief encounters with the Lord. That's because you are identifying and living in the flesh. But if you would get into the spirit, which the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63 the spirit is the word. And so you just get into the word and somebody says, how are you? Instead of saying, oh man, I heard all over and the doctor says this and the prognosis is bad and I lost my job. And instead of, that's the flesh. When somebody says, how are you? You think, well, let's see. The real me is born again. I'm a new man in the spirit. How am I? Well, let me look in the mirror right here and you just flip over to Ephesians 1, 3 and say, man, I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm blessed. And somebody says, no, I want to know how you really are. And I tell them, I really am blessed. Amen. (laughs) No, I want to know how you really, really are. I really, really am blessed. Amen. I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. (laughs) I think this is normal Christianity, walking in the spirit and seeing what you've done in the spirit. I've got love and joy and peace. I am one spirit with the Lord. What is true of the Holy Spirit is true of me. If you think that God gets discouraged, well, then you got a right to get discouraged, but he doesn't. And if you're discouraged, it's because you aren't walking in Him and in what He's provided. You're in the flesh. So get out of the flesh and over into the Spirit. By First of all, you've got to find out what is true. What do you have in the spirit? Galatians 5, 22. You got love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's always in you. There is never a time that you aren't bearing that fruit. Your spirit is constantly filled with love, joy, and peace. If you aren't filled with it, it's because you aren't walking in the spirit. You aren't drawing on who you are in Christ. You aren't letting the Holy Spirit take what's in your spirit, man, and put it out into the soul and into the body. And so it's up to you, draw on it, start realizing, release it. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to take what's true in the spirit realm and release it into the physical realm. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. If the world could gra- if, well, let, forget the world, if the Christians could grab hold of what I'm talking about, this would revolutionize the world. You've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead in your spirit. And yet how many Christians are, oh God, please touch it. Reach forth your hand and touch me and you're waiting on God to touch you. You're already touched. You're touched in the head. You aren't thinking right. We pray things like, oh, the demons are over Phoenix and they're blocking our prayers from getting up to God and God's power can't reach down because the demons are blocking it. And so we have spiritual warfare conferences so that we can make a little hole in the ceiling or in the atmosphere above Phoenix so that your prayers can get up to God. How stupid can you get and still breathe? Was that too subtle? Anybody missed my point on that one? Well, brother, isn't that what happened in Daniel chapter nine? Yeah, that was an Old Testament man that, you know, they said, rend the heavens and come down. And there's Christians that pray that rend the heavens and come down. But that's an Old Testament prayer. Jesus rent the heavens and he came down. And now you don't need to clear a little area in the atmosphere so that your prayers can get up to him. I bet you most of you have heard people say, well, that prayer didn't get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayers to get above your nose. (laughs) Right here's where God is. That's why you bow your head when you pray and you say, Father, (laughs) amen. (laughs) Praise God. That's where all of this weird doctrine comes from is because people don't realize the New Testament that God moved from heaven and he lives inside of me. And I've got love and joy and peace. It's not out there and I don't have to pray and ask God to send it. I don't need God to stretch forth his hand and heal me. He's already put raising from the dead power on the inside of me. And what I've got to do is get out of my flesh and quit going by what I see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And I got to start walking by faith and release what's already real in my born again spirit. Man, that's awesome. So he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 6, uh, 6 17. And here's, a, here's the real reason I wanted to get on that scripture. We're now back to where I was going. You are one with the Holy Spirit. And the way that the Holy Spirit guides you isn't to come from the outside. And speak to your physical ears or to your physical eyes. He can do that, but that's not the dominant way. You know how the Holy Spirit communicates with you? You're one. And the things that God is passionate about and feels and knows, it just, you know it in your born again spirit because you're one. He communicates things through, you get impressions. Leadings, promptings. He doesn't always verbalize it. And if he does speak to you, it's not going to be Andrew, I think you should go do this because my born again spirit is one with his spirit. My spirit will pick up on what the Holy Spirit is thinking and feeling. And then my spirit will talk to me and say, Andrew, I think I should do this. And because it's in the first person instead of the third person, a lot of people just blow this off and think, I wonder why I'm thinking that. You're thinking it because your born again spirit is united with the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit feels, your born again spirit feels. I had a friend of mine who had, uh, he lived in a small town of a 100 people. There were two people in his town that had leukemia and he was a pastor of a church. And these two boys died of leukemia in this little town of a 100 people. The, the percentage of people that have leukemia are minute compared to the overall population. The chances of having two people die of leukemia in a town of 100 people are negligent nearly. It's nearly impossible. This was demonic, an attack. And anyway, he was telling me about this and I said, well, did you pray for him? And he says, you know, I really wanted to pray for him. I wanted to go over there and pray for them and lay hands on them so many times. But I would pray and ask God, am I supposed to pray for him? And I just never had him tell me anything. And man, I just wanted to say, bend over and let me kick you. Amen. (laughs) Because that desire to go pray for them was the Holy Spirit communicating to him. You don't desire to go help people. In the natural, a fallen human being cares only about themselves. They are oblivious to other people. They don't care. They don't have compassion for anybody or anything else. If you have compassion and if you wanna help somebody, you know what, that's not your carnal self. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the compassion of the Holy Spirit. But it's not gonna be like, Andrew, you go do this. It'll come to me as, man, I want to help this person. And some people, because it's you saying that this is your desire, you can't distinguish. That it's the Holy Spirit. You think it's just yourself and so you want to. This is what Wendell and I were talking about. The school, people say, man, I want to go to school. (laughs) It's not the devil. It's not your flesh that's wanting you to go to school. If you want to go to school, guess what is wanting you to go to school? It's the born again part of you. It's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. The flesh doesn't want to do those kind of things. This is not a natural, normal desire to pluck up your life, to change your whole life and devote two years to seeking God. What part of this do you not understand? If you have that desire, guess who gave it to you? Guess where it came from? It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And yet many people just blow this off and miss it because they forget that He that's joined unto the Lord is one Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you and say, You go do this. He will just give you His desire to go do something. And your Spirit is one with Him. And all of a sudden, you are desiring this. And you long to do this. And yet Christians will sit there and say, Man, I've always wanted to be a missionary. I've always wanted to do this. Or I I bet you another thing that many of you could relate to. There's some of you in here that you work a job that you hate. You do it because you have to do it. And you've said things like, Man, what I'd really like to do. What I've always dreamed of doing. And yet you're doing something contrary to the desires that's in your heart. And many of you are stifling the Holy Spirit, not realizing that God is the one that put those desires in your heart. Now, not every desire that comes to you is from God. And so you have to be able to judge. How do you judge whether this is a godly desire or a selfish desire? The Word of God. It says in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, but the Word of God is quick. That means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Soul is the part of you that is carnal, physical, natural. Spirit is the part of you that's born again and that's one with the Lord. And so the Word of God will divide even down to telling you whether it's coming from your soul, the carnal part of you, or the spirit part of you. The word of God will help you to discern these leadings. If you are desiring a new wife, you don't like the one you got. And I think I just, I like this one. She looks a lot better than mine. You know what? That's not the spirit. Because the Word says that God hates putting away. He says He created one man for one woman for one lifetime. That's what the Word says. And so if you've got a desire contrary to that, it's not coming from God. It's coming from your flesh. If you desire to go over here and let's lie about this person so that I can get his job. Let's misrepresent it. You can go to the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. You shall not bear false witness and say, nope, that wasn't God. That's the flesh. If you've got vengeance in you, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord, I will repay. And if you're trying to hurt somebody, it doesn't have to be physical. You can just turn the cold shoulder and let them suffer for a while. Let them sleep on the couch. Just, you know, punish them until you think they've suffered equal to what you've done. That's not God. He told you to turn the other cheek. He told you to love people. The Word of God will help you discern. And you have to know the Word of God to say, is this desire really of you? And the ultimate test for me is that if it's something that's not clearly defined in the Word of God, like say for instance, you know, I saw a house and man, I think I really would like to have this house, but is that a godly desire? Is this God leading me for this or not? Well, there's some things that you could use Uh, from the Word of God to help you discern that. For one thing, if you have to give an arm and a leg, if this is going to put you under bondage, man, that is not a godly principle. Oh, no, man, anything. God doesn't want you hawking your life and and paying triple what something is worth over the uh, long term. Anyway, that's a separate deal. But you could weed out a lot of stuff right there. But let's say it's something that is within your means. It is something that you could do. But God is... Am I supposed to do this or not? To me, the way I really test things that don't have a specific direction, I use Psalms chapter 37 verse 4, which says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that He will give you whatever you want, but when you are truly putting your your delight in the Lord, when you are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then God will start giving you His desires. See, this happened when you got born again. Some of you used to desire to get drunk, to go dope, do different things. And when you got born again, man, He just changed your want to. Your desires changed. And things that you used to desire, you don't desire anymore. Well, that can work. It just continues to increase. And so if you are really putting God first, He will give you His desires. And so if I'm trying to figure out is this desire from the Lord and if there isn't a clear cut scripture that, that judges this thing and tells me what to do, then what I do is just I forget the thing that I'm thinking about and I just go to focusing on the Lord. I'll fast, I'll pray, I'll put on praise and worship music, I'll just spend the day loving God and seeking Him. And if the more I delight myself in the Lord... The less I desire to do something, then I'll know that that was just a carnal desire. Because when I delight myself in the Lord, the more I delight myself in the Lord, the less that desire dominates me. But if I delight myself in the Lord and the desire increases, then I take that as being a word from God. And I act on it. And this is how God leads you. This is how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Is He puts desires in your heart. Boy, that is so simple. You got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand what I've said. (laughs) And yet, it's potentially dangerous because whether you are really delighting yourself in the Lord is somewhat subjective. And there could be a person who's just lying. And not truly seeking God. And they, it's easy for them to say, oh yeah, I'm delighting myself in the Lord. And yet every desire you've got violates the Word of God. And so there, this is potentially dangerous. It's like a gun. You know what? A gun is powerful and it can help you and it can save your life. And there's positive things that it can do. But you know what? You can't just give it to a, a child because they could kill themselves or kill somebody else with it. What I'm saying here is really powerful, but it's also potentially dangerous if you aren't honest with God. Scripture says the heart knows its own bitterness. You know whether you're really honest. You know whether you're seeking God with your whole heart or whether you're holding back and you're a hypocrite. But if you would be completely honest, get into the presence of God, seek God with your whole heart. You never just put the Bible aside and say, I'm going to seek God. And if the desire continues, I'm going to take it as being God. No, the word of God trumps everything. You can be deceived. And if if your desire is something that is contrary to what the word of God says, I don't care how much you believe it, how passionate you are, you forget it. You let the word of God dominate your life. But if it doesn't violate the Word of God and you seek the Lord and the more you seek the Lord if the desire increases, then go with it. And I know some of you are afraid of that because I wouldn't trust my desires. That's because you aren't committing your life unto the Lord. You aren't truly seeking Him. And you have no confidence in that. But I'm telling you that this is a principle of God. That if you would put God first... And say, God, I'm putting my life on the altar. I'm a living sacrifice. And I just want to please you. I want to live for you. And then you seek Him and delight yourself in Him. Make Him the most important thing in your life. If you were to do that and be honest and sincere, then you know what? You could do whatever you want to do. Because God would put His desires in your heart. I'm telling you... Some of you may misunderstand what I'm saying. I hope you let the Holy Spirit explain this. But I do exactly what I want to do. Because I'm seeking God. And I put God first in my life. And you know what? I long to minister and help other people come into the truth. I'm not doing this because I have to do it. This is what I want to do. If you were to just say, man, here's... $10 billion, do whatever you want to do. You know what? I wouldn't do anything that I'm not already doing. I just might do it quicker. But I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing what God has put in my heart. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. And this is how God leads you. I was going to Costa Rica one time. I'd already been there and held meetings in a Bible school and it was powerful and they had such a good time. They asked me to come back. So I went back and I was going to bring my pastor with me and we had already bought our plane tickets. We were flying through Mexico City and then on to Costa Rica. And um, I was driving my mother, this is in 1980, and I was driving my mother from Arlington, Texas up to uh, Colorado to come to work for me. And I loaded up all of her stuff in a U-Haul and I was driving 17 hours in a U-Haul. And as I was driving, I just got to praying about this trip to Costa Rica. And I'd had a wonderful time the first time and I was just anticipating that, man, it'd be great to go back and see the people whose lives were changed and see other things happen. And so I was excited about it. But as I started praying, all of a sudden my desires changed and I didn't want to go to Costa Rica. And so I thought, this is weird. And so I thought, well, this may just be that I'm tired. I'm tired of traveling or whatever. And so I said, I'm going to just delight myself in the Lord. I put on praise and worship music. I worshiped, I praised God. I prayed in tongues for 17 hours. And the closer I got and more focused on God that I got the less I wanted to go to Costa Rica. I actually got to where I hated the thought of going to Costa Rica. (laughs) And so when I got out of that rental car, I called the people in Costa Rica and I said, I'm not coming. They said, you got to come. We've already got everything planned. People are coming. We've publicized it. We've done all of this. You've got to come. And I said, I'm not coming. And they said, why not? What's wrong? And I said, nothing's wrong. I just don't want to go. I didn't have a reason. And boy, they got highly offended. They got really upset. And they never invited me back. They took offense over that because they thought I just wasn't keeping my word. But I didn't want to go. And I've learned that that's the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so I canceled that meeting just because I didn't want to go. And did you know it turned out that the plane that we were scheduled on, it landed in Mexico City and then as it took off for Costa Rica on takeoff, it crashed and killed 169 people. Every person on that plane died. And you know how God saved my life? He changed my desire. He changed my want to. And it saved my life. And I could tell you dozens and dozens of stories where the leading of the Holy Spirit has kept me from making mistakes. And this is just my spirit is one with the Holy Spirit. And if I will get in tune and put my heart on the Lord and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, I'll feel what the Holy Spirit feels. I'll desire what the Holy Spirit desires. And that is valid being led by the Lord. Amen. You know, people ask all the time, how do you decide where to go? Did the Holy Spirit tell you to come to Phoenix? Yeah. Not in the terms of Andrew, go to Phoenix. But I just had a desire to come to Phoenix. Thank you. And I believe that God led me here. And I believe we've seen all of these people born again, filled with the Holy Spirit and bodies healed and people's lives being changed. I believe it was God's leading. But you know what? I came here because I wanted to come here. Amen. I wanted to come. That's how God leads me. And I know some of you are trying to make it more complicated than this. You got to have a word from God. You got to have three goosebumps and five birds fly over in unison to verify and confirm. Man, that's just so complicated. It's as simple as you're just one with the Lord. You seek Him, you put your heart on Him, and then you just take those impressions and desires. You check them with the Word to make sure you aren't in violation of anything. And if the more you seek God, the desire gets stronger, then you do it. If the more you seek God, you lose that desire, then it was a carnal desire. And as you get into the presence of the Lord, it just ceases to be important. And that's how you run your life. It's so simple. You've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. And the sad fact is we've had a lot of help misunderstanding how to be led by God. Man, the Holy Spirit is so powerful. I pray that this conference has helped you to place a greater importance and value on the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. And if you just leave with a new awareness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and a desire to have the Holy Spirit move in your life, then I guarantee you the Holy Spirit wants to do this more than you want it. And if you'll just open up to it, He will start leading you and comforting you and shedding the love of God abroad in your heart and giving you direction and, man, just all kinds of things. So I tell you, this could change your life. Amen. Praise God. Let me ask one last time here if there's any person here who's not born again.